Satnam. I'm Guru Prakarmakar. Guru Singh and I travel the world, loving to meet an ever-growing global community. We are appreciative of your vital role on this planet, for it is your willingness to be here and listen that calls forth wisdom, that activates our collective voice in service. Your questions bring forth the answers. For a wealth of information about who we are and what we do, please visit gurusingh.com. Bless you. Satnam. So let's breathe ourselves into this room. This Sunday, we have the um, annual winter solstice from 12.30 to 4.15. We'll run a little over, so don't plan something for 4.02. But do come. We will, we will gather together the quarter between fall equinox and winter solstice. And we will make sense of it in a very meditative way. It's going to be very important going into 2015, which is a year of eight. Two plus zero plus one plus five. And eight is when the finite meets the infinite, and it creates that symbol of infinity. And the, uh, the opportunity that we occupy when we're in what we're going to talk about tonight is that point of no dimension. When you take a perfect circle or a perfect sphere and you bring it together with another perfect circle or another perfect sphere, there's no dimension to the point of contact. As a matter of fact, there's no contact in the point of contact. And that's what that symbol of infinity means, because contact would require a flat area. And in a perfect circle or a perfect sphere, there's no flat area. So if no flat area comes together with no flat area, there's no area that can touch. Because touch would have to be a flat area. Your brain may not <laughs> enjoy this, but it's true. So the point of no dimension is what it's called. Infinity, that, that cross point, is a point of no dimension out of which the finite is created. So, what it means is that something comes from nothing. The hand is a teacher. We have lessons of the brain. We have lessons of the heart. We have lessons of great difficulty. That's what that means. 
It's been around for thousands of years. You would flip that finger thousands of years ago. It means, I want you to learn your lessons with great difficulty. And this is to learn lessons with great joy. And this is the one that receives the lessons because this can come in contact. This human thumb is what's called a rotated thumb, an opposing thumb. It's what gives us our dexterity. It's what gives us our capacity because the hands and the brain come out of the same liquidity when the embryo is dividing to multiply. So the hand is a teacher. Running in the hand, in the palms of the hand, are the lines of emphasis. Where they cross each other, how deep they are, is all about putting pressure on nerve endings. If you know anything about reflexology, you know that all of your glands and organs have nerves that end in your palms and in the soles of your feet. Wherever your lines crinkle, it puts a, when you move your hand, that crinkle puts an additional pinch on the end of the nerve. That pinch on the end of the nerve puts an acupressure there. Acute simply means accurate. Acupuncture simply means an accurate puncture. Acupressure is the same. So whenever you're moving your hands, you're putting an acupressure on the nerve ending to a particular gland and organ which is going to secrete a particular peptide or hormone. And that particular peptide or hormone is going to create a sensation of feeling. That feeling is going to lock in the lens through which you experience your experience. And that's why at the end of class we always open our eyes into the darkness of our palms and we move the palms forward to gaze at these lines without a thought. Just to imprint them. Because when you can imprint that destiny, and by the way the lines on your hands change as you change, when you imprint that destiny on your psyche, your psyche knows what it's going to work with. And anytime you know what it is you're going to work with, if you're not overridden by emotions, feelings, predetermined attitudes, if you can actually be in that moment, you can actually work with that moment. This is the nature of higher consciousness. About 1.75 million years ago, some one of us ran into a burning forest, caught on fire by some lightning strike, and pulled out a stick that was burning. For whatever reason, we had studied it for thousands or tens of thousands of years, and suddenly the study had 
climaxed in this person running in and coming out and waving this stick and realizing that it was warmer than the air around it. And that was both distractive and attractive at the same time. Thousands of years in the making, after that occurs, pretty soon all clans had what was called a fire keeper. And the clan's activities orbited the fire. They found that fire kept them somewhat safe from stronger animals than they were, animals that they were unprepared to battle, because mostly animals are afraid of fire. It also found that it gave them the ability, I'm sure by accident in the initial stages, but probably later on it was a learned procedure to cook their food, allowed them to eat foods that couldn't previously be eaten. But needless to say, the fire keeper became the most important person in the clan. A million years later, it took a million years to figure out how to strike rocks together and get sparks to touch grass onto fire. A million years to learn that. And suddenly, there was what was considered psychically, psycho-emotionally, an imitation fire, a fraudulent fire, would you say. But eventually that fraudulent fire most likely caught the forest on fire and they realized that fraudulent fire is not so much different than real fire. And we've been living in an era over the last 2,500 years of the fire keeper. Some individuals, as history tells us, Lord Krishna, Lord Rama, Lord Buddha, Lord Jesus, Lord Muhammad, Zoriaster, Lord Zoriaster, a variety of these figures ran into the light, grabbed a piece of that light, brought it back into the clan, became the most important person. But like it took a million years, all those years ago, for the fire keeper to inspire a fire maker. It's now time. It is now the time of the light makers to recognize that that same story of fraudulent light and you're a 
heretic, and all of those stories that took place way back then are taking place right now. There can only be one fire maker, excuse me, one fire keeper. It's the one and only. Since I was a small child, I thought anything that's one and only is ridiculous. In an infinite universe, to have anything that's one and only, that's French. <laughs> Are you brave enough to make fire? Are you courageous enough to go against all, to go against all tradition? Not to make a claim, but to be an example. Because you know deep inside of you that you have the capacity. You've known it since you were born. And you just thought that it was your moments of insanity. But you've known it since you were born, that you've had that capacity. You've had a supernatural capacity. Not that you're the only one, not that you're the better one, no. But that you're the one. Not the only one, but you're the one. You're responsible to ignite the light. You're responsible to ignite the light. Not to worship the light keepers, but to be a light maker. The hand is a teacher. Now remember that there are three elements in all settings. There's the light, there's the object, and there's the shadow that's cast by the object. Now the shadow cast by the object is what creates identity. Because in just light, 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 there's no identity. No identity whatsoever. So we take on form in the shadow. And in this particular instance, the object in the light is the earth. And what do you occupy? A piece of earth. That's what we are all occupying is a piece of earth. Earth was light. Because earth and all of the planets in this solar system are made up of the dust particles of the sun. Every set of planets in a stellar system are from that light. And so the earth is just a piece of the stellar dust, the sun dust, the star dust, gathered together. And you have now occupied a being, a, a vessel, made up of the sun dust, stardust, which is earth. It's the object. And all objects cast a shadow, and all shadows create perspective, and all perspectives create identity. 
The reason death is so challenging is because we lose our identity in the death process. Because we lose all shadow. And that's why it's so challenging is because we are completely fixated on our identity. Guru Nanak said, be dead while yet alive. What he meant was, learn to release, to surrender your identity so that you can merge with the situations around you. And the moment you merge with the situations around you, you comprehend them. What's the greatest challenge in the world today? Not comprehending each other. And when we don't comprehend each other and maintain our maximum identity, we will by nature create friction between us. That's the physics. That's not the philosophy. That's the physics of it. If you're a super strong identity and I'm a super strong identity, when we rub together we create heat and we interpret that heat as friction and then we don't like each other. You can do it, but quietly. That's friction. Making that squeak. She just gave you an example. Thank you. If you don't play in the shadow, you literally have nothing to say until you decide you're going to analyze the object. When you're playing in the shadow, you have so much to say, but it's all meaningless because it's just random notions and attitudes and opinions within the shadow. Whatever comes up, comes out. And now it's multiplied over and over with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and I use it. <laughs> Texts, emails. It's a step up from being random, me, randomly meaningless in the shadow to suddenly being analytical of the object. But still, it is a microscopic non-reality. You could look at me and you could say, wow. Because all you could see was my shirt. You could say, wow. Guru Singh was completely turquoise. So how was class? Turquoise. What exercises did you do? Turquoise ones. Oh, really? Because all you've been looking at is this turquoise. 
that is what happens. We take our little bit of held light hmm, and we shine it into the vast darkness and we focus on what catches our attention, which is usually what's familiar, and we maintain that position. And all of what is going on around it, all what is going on within it, is never used. And you will stick to your story till the day you die, and in that moment of death you'll realize your story was complete bogus, but it's too late. I was talking to a wonderful human being today. She has, she's called a departure doula. And that is a hospice angel. Hmm? And she's just been taken over by this compelling passion for this role. And she said the reason that she's so passionate about this role is that because in those moments of a person's transition, they're so utterly honest that she just feels like it's the most sacred place that you could possibly be because there's so much honesty. There's no, there's no agendas. Why, why would there be? That it just spews of honesty. But until that sensation, until you're dead while yet alive, for most people that's not until the very last moments, but if you could possibly be there before, you could have a lifetime of honesty. If you allow yourself to release yourself from the object, it means that you literally have to release yourself from the body. And the only way that you can release yourself from the body is if you get the body to be satisfied. And what yogis found throughout history was the way to satisfy the body was to fully engage the body. And that's what asanas are all about. That's what yoga postures are all about. Fully engage the body so the body doesn't have needs. And in that period of time beyond your yoga set, that your body can be without needs, you can be free from its demands. And while you're free from its demands, suddenly you're free to explore beyond the object. And the object is the earth and anything made of the earth. And the shadow is the shadow cast by the earth, which is the darkness and the mystery of the earth. And suddenly you find that there's light beyond the object. But the problem with light is it has no distinctive, it has no distinctive qualities. So there's nothing to talk about. 
So if you're obsessed with communication, you've got to find some poetic way of versing it. Some way that doesn't lock it down but gives the capacity for those listening to you to form their own conclusions. Now all religions have done thus far is just make up stories in the shadow about some dude, always a dude, hmm, that came from the light which we all did but that's denied in the process and they just make up stories in the shadow atheists are some of the most sacred people ever because it's not that they don't believe in God it's that they don't believe in that story The first way of getting out of a lie is to stop believing the lie. Well, you stop believing the lie and the lie is a universal lie. Aren't you the condemned one? Huh? Now, you may consider this lecture blasphemous. I would think that would be appropriate because it is. Thank God. (laughs) I wouldn't want to be thought of as anything less. So you're going to have to you're going to have to break the codes that hold you into the place that has been going on for twenty-five or thirty-five hundred years, which is worshiping the fire keeper, whoever that person may be or have been, and become yourself the fire maker. Because you have it in you. And if you don't have it, if you don't know you have it in you, if you don't believe you have it in you, if you don't have the courage to show it up in that moment of total honesty, you'll be totally honest. Whoa, shit. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. And it's too late at that moment. God bless us. What a moment of agony. If you read my book, you'll realize that I had that opportunity at 20. Thank God they didn't keep me out there. Hmm? Because it was a woulda, shoulda, coulda moment, you know? Deep agony. When you start shining the light, you start noticing that there's some unformed elements. 90% science has conjectured that 90% of the mass of this universe within the multiverse, within the metaverse, 90% is not yet formed into anything that the five senses can perceive in three dimensions. And what do they call it? 
What do they call it? Dark matter. Just because it can't be seen, they call it dark matter. I wouldn't call it dark matter. I call it cosmic stem cells. Cosmic stem cells that are waiting for the directive of light to be, show, to be shown upon it. Because the moment you take the light that you can make and you shine it upon those cosmic stem cells, you can produce from them. Because you give those cosmic stem cells the directive that they require to become. You take a stem cell, you put it in a culture of other kidney cells, it becomes what? It gets entrained. I mean, it gets, you know, the other kidney cells rub off on it and it becomes a kidney cell. I mean, it's a lot more complex than that, but that's the simplistic view. 90%, it's right here. It's right here. It's right here. It's right. It's everywhere. And they call it another dimension because the five senses cannot perceive it in three dimensions. But it's there, waiting for you to cast the light of your intention upon it. To give it direction, to give it momentum. To give it intention. Look out there in the, on the counter out there. You see these little creatures? They're called kundals. They're called kundals. I invented them as a little boy. I would draw them as a little boy. Everybody said, those look ridiculous. Now nobody says those look ridiculous. They say those look really cute. And Emily took them and says, wow. And she made them into refrigerator magnets. You could make them into car magnets, you know. We could stick them all over everybody's car. But every time you look at your refrigerator, there's a kundal going, uh-uh. Green juice. <laughs> it's just a reminder. Get one, give them, get a bunch, give them away as gifts. Ornaments too. Ornaments too. That was a shameless plug. <laughs> I have no shame plugging that. But that was a typical example. It started as the, it started as the scrawls of a child. It ended up being the way I took notes when I was studying with Yogi Bhajan. And it ended up being the way I could give you the exercises that are being done in every set during class. And it gets picked up, put now, boom. It's a refrigerator magnet. A simple example. What's your dream? What's your dream? You cannot have a dream that isn't possible. You cannot have a dream that isn't possible. And what ignites it into the actual from the maybe it's possible is you shine a light 
on the other dimensional stem cells that are all around you, packed in, every one of us, occupying space that is 90% filled with these things. They are so abundant. And the usage of these things in a totally outrageous way would be called faith. Faith, trust, and will arise from the brain in your heart. Analysis, two-dimensional, right, wrong, good, bad, yes, no, I can't, arises from the brain and the head. Both of them are essential. The one in your heart is completely underused. Get it activated. Two and a half million years ago, when we had just stood up, the brain that we were developing was the brain in our head. And as we stood up and the spine became an antenna, the brain in the head began to store more and more information and the frontal lobe began to expand because with all of that information we needed the capacity to deal with it, which is called the capacity to reason. So the reasoning lobes opened up. You see pictures of the skulls that are three million years ago and the skull slants back in this area. And with each hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand years, the frontal lobe expanded. Now that's been maximized to the point of where all we're doing is creating greater and greater weaponry to try to control each other. That's a tipping point. That's a crisis point. And from that perfect crisis point, is arising the new dimension, which is the dimension of the heart-brain. And the heart-brain has the ability to cast and direct the light. Face it. All those great, and I do not detract from the great ones that went before. The Krishnas, the Ramas, the, the Buddhas, the Jesus, they were all tremendous beings. But they were examples of who we are, not what we are to worship that we could never achieve. Even within the religion that you think I come from. The ten gurus. Yeah, no, laugh. I agree. All religions are what I call aftermarket. You know, add-ons. No, no, there's great, I am a Jew, I am a Christian, I am a Catholic, I am a Buddhist, I am a Sikh, I am a Hare Krishna, I'm a Hindu. I will take whatever advantage I can get from whatever process has ever been used. I'm the world's biggest thief. I will take whatever I can get and use it. And you should too. I remember Yogi Bhajan when somebody came up and says, well, do you believe in Jesus? He said, believe in Jesus? I know Jesus. One of my best friends. 
That pissed off the Indians. But it's the time to break the mold. It's the time to break the code. It's the time to break all of those limiting sensations that lock you in. And remember that in every great light it will cast a shadow. We live in the shadow or we analyze the object or we get to the light. When you get to the light you lose identity but you gain the ability to use the light to create something new. Like healers. Oh, I'm sick. Well, a healer comes along with a bit of a flashlight and says, yes, and you're also well. Did you look over here? I love this doctor because she has this attitude that Inside of every body, even a body that's sick or injured, there's the memory of when the body wasn't. And she spends her whole practice igniting that memory. And all you have to do is begin to release the story and remember the memory. And suddenly you begin to retrace the steps back to that condition of health. They even say that you get injured, you can take the injury and you can track it back to the moment before the injury. And the body will decide whether it wants to stick with the injury for the sake of some sympathy. or go with the wellness for the sake of getting along. Okay. Did you got it? That's why we're going to do the set that we're going to do tonight. But that's it, right? In a nutshell. You say, nutshell? That was the biggest nutshell I've ever heard. Bless you for joining us. Visit gurusing.com for an ever-expanding archive of lectures, videos, yoga sets, meditations, and more.